John Talk Telecom with Andy Netzel and John Rewe. You're logged into Andy and John Talk Telecom. I am Andy Netzel coming from the beautiful swap city of Houston, Texas. And this is John Rewe coming to you from the tech center of Texas, Silicon Valley of Texas, the beautiful one and only Austin, Texas. I will give you that it's beautiful and I will give you that it is uh, it is quickly becoming the, the tech center of texas with facebook moving out there apple tesla and all that but i i don't think i don't like it i don't like it it's it's uh you know, austin has grown too quickly um you know for its own good but hey you, you're born and raised there you love it so to each their own john yeah well i'll tell you uh unlike a lot of cities that build roads out where there's nobody living and building yet to plan for the future uh, you know, some cities like Houston have loops and they build them like now you've got three loops around Houston. Eight line, Austin eight lane has, highways. Way to go. Yeah. Austin has half of a loop that's been here since I was born. And uh, other than those toll roads out east, they really haven't done a ton to uh, improve things. So, yeah, we've got one of the fastest growing metropolitan centers in the nation. And uh, although the highways are always under construction, uh, they're about 20 to 30 years behind the times. I love the uh, you mentioned the the tollways out east of Austin. I love, uh, I love those tollways. It's the only place I can go eighty and do it legally, and I'm still getting passed by at least ten miles an hour. It's uh, it's pretty wild. Probably but, by a big super duty truck. Oh, absolutely. And you know, if you go further south uh, towards Seguin, it actually jumps up to eighty five mile an hour speed limit. So, oh, I like it. I I cannot complain. So here we are, a uh, another episode. Uh, for you, our listeners, talking telecom news, uh, set expectations for today. We're going to do four quick news stories. Cap this at probably around 20 minutes is uh, is our goal for this episode. Um, before we bring you hopefully another outstanding interview uh, for, for you next week, we talked with Justin Zell of Clearfield last week. I thought we had a great conversation about all things telecom, 5G, fiber, conspiracy theories, and, and, and everything in between. Um, so we hope to bring you more high-quality content to this high-quality podcast and um, keep you looped in on the telecom news. So, John, if you are ready to go, let's go to story number one. Starlink. We are talking about SpaceX and Starlink again. You will, uh, If you've listened to this podcast, you know that we have talked about them a lot we find them pretty fascinating find elon musk and everything he does and touches as fascinating um and if you'll remember back in was either late july or early august where we did a podcast and we uh, reported or um we said that uh the fcc had denied starlink and spacex the ability to bid in the rural digital opportunity fund well seems like the FCC has reversed that decision. Initially, Starlink was placed on the incomplete application list because uh, the FCC had concerns about whether or not the latency uh, of Starlink would be under the 100 millisecond threshold. Well, after uh, some tests, and now that Starlink is in uh, its beta uh, phase before launching their uh, satellite web or satellite internet access you know, nationwide, 
Um, FCC said, okay, you're good to go. You can bid on part of the $16 billion of the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. Um, so Starlink is back in the game and uh, they will be bidding along with 385 other competitors, more or less. So there are 386 total people or total organizations bidding on uh, the $16 billion of Rural Digital Opportunity Funds. And that is 76% of the total uh, people who uh, submit applications. So 386 companies out of 505 made the cut and uh, initially Starlink was out, but now they're back in. Yeah, I remember uh, was a few episodes back, you uh, brought us up to date on how Starlink was saying, well, we actually can meet these latency requirements. So it's interesting to see how uh, their application was moved from incomplete to complete and got approved. So they're now back in the game. And as I understand it, Viasat is also eligible as well, I guess, being the other satellite provider. I didn't see Viasat. The only, um, I only Starlink supposedly was the only satellite uh, internet company on the list other than Hughes, um, who's an investor in OneWeb. Uh, OneWeb's in bankruptcy in bankruptcy right now so they're not going to bid on the arda funds directly but apparently hughes who owns uh, OneWeb, will be um viaset is considering a move into building uh low earth orbit satellites uh but like hughes um, right now they use geostationary satellites that has uh latencies of around 600 milliseconds so they are they are far from that that 100 millisecond threshold very so interesting if, if they get into low earth orbit stuff then maybe maybe they will and um, yeah, even after the auction, uh, which is in December, the uh, sorry, the auction is scheduled to start October 29th and results should be announced in December. Um, even after Starlink or another company wins, they still have to submit a long form application and get that approved by the FCC. So it's still a long road to go before all of this uh, $16 billion gets doled out and construction starts and uh, the breaking of the ground starts. But we're uh, we're quickly getting there. We're almost October 29th, and I'm excited to see uh, where all this money is going to go across the country. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's kind of a good segue into a story that I wanted to talk about, which is more government money for broadband development. Yeah, um, and that the money. is com- yeah. That, so this is coming through USDA. Uh, reconnect program. Okay. Uh, so this is round two of USDA, and um, so yeah, USDA Reconnect Round Two is uh, being awarded right now, and this is a uh, this is separate from ARDOF, but still government money coming in. This is uh, an initiative from the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. Um, he announced in December of last year this uh, second round of funding under the Reconnect program. It basically it's six hundred million dollars. It's divvied up into two hundred million for grants. 200 million for a combo grant and loan and then 200 million for low interest loan only. So there's three different tiers that uh have been applied for and the applications were due uh by April 15th and they're starting to award these right now. So that's kind of interesting. You can go to um they're starting to pop up in the news as these um different companies get awarded their money. Um but it's kind of interesting to see uh, how this kind of ties back into some of the agricultural stuff we've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, this legs. is, 
Yeah, exactly. So this is uh, a result of President Trump's Interagency Task Force on Agriculture and Rural Prosperity from 2017. And it was meant to identify legislative, regulatory, and policy changes that could promote agriculture and prosperity and growth in rural areas. And so Sonny Perdue uh, put together a task force and uh, put together a report on all their findings after reaching out to a bunch of stakeholders in rural areas. And two of the key things in this report, uh, which is called the Report to the President of the United States from the Task Force on Agriculture and Rural Prosperity. It's a mouthful. Uh, it is a mouthful. Um, so, and what you would expect from a government organization. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, exactly. Uh, I was looking at the acronym, doesn't really work either. So, anyway, we'll just uh, refer just to it. Just got to say it all. That, that report. Yeah. Roll with it. Anyway, so there's kind of five initiatives that are mentioned in there but two of the key initiatives are specifically around and related to telecom and the first one is the e-connectivity for rural america and i'll actually read those verbatim uh, okay in today's information driven global economy e-connectivity is not simply an amenity it has become essential e-connectivity or electronic activity whatever internet is more than just connecting households, schools, and healthcare centers to each other as well as the rest of the world. It is also a tool that enables increased productivity for farms, factories, forests, mining, and small business. Uh, it's fundamental for economic development, innovation, advancements in technology, workforce readiness, and improved quality of life. Uh, it will tr reliable and affordable high-speed internet will transform rural America as a key catalyst for prosperity. And you know that's I think we talked about it last uh, podcast, and we've talked about it over and over again how uh, connectivity is more and more critical for what is being done, the kind of business being conducted out in rural areas, and especially around agriculture. You know, that's what feeds America and, to some extent, the world. Um, so uh, the next part is harnessing technological innovation. So the first part was about connectivity and then kind of like the innovation that's going to require that connectivity. So um, U.S. population is projected to increase to almost 400 million people by 2050, and rising incomes worldwide will translate into historic global growth in food demand. So to feed a hungry world, we will need to harness innovation to increase output across American farmlands. So, you know, again, we talked about that with Lando Lakes and a lot of their, um, the way they're bringing big data into the mix to um, improve crop quality, improve crop yields, uh, nutritional value, things like that. And so at the core of these developments um, is expansion in STEM education because we need educated uh workforce to help build all this infrastructure sure. and and create these new tools that are going to allow this uh increase in productivity um and we also need uh research uh modernizing regulatory on uh deploying this technology so that um we're not uh hindered by uh archaic regulations um that stand in the way of deploying this stuff and then you know actually creating the infrastructure so you know part of that is uh, building out these networks, building connectivity. Uh, 5G will be part of that. Um, you know, we start, this kind of ties in a lot of stuff we've talked about, like in the um, CBRS auction, how Loving Texas was where the highest dollar amount was spent on licenses, a priority access license. And that was for, um, presumably for IoT for oil wells or mm -hmm. pump jacks. So, you know, the same sort of thing can come into play with agriculture. Uh, where 5G and other sort of connectivity will be needed. So I think it'll be, you know, fiber, it'll be wireless in different forms. So this is all kind of seen 
you know, and, and kind of pointed out in these two, um, two major portions of the report, um, as, as things that the telecom industry is going to have to support. And so USDA sees this connectivity and this growth of technology and IOT and the agricultural space being really critical and also the education of the workforce in these areas. And so, um, they're saying, all right, well now let's put some money into that. So, um, this reconnect is a pilot program to spur advance expansion of connectivity in rural areas. And, um, so $600 million up for grabs is being, uh, rolled out right now. And, uh, let's see, there's a report that also kind of talks, talks more about, um, uh, precision agriculture and these technologies, if you know, it's kind of interesting. I didn't read the whole thing. It was pretty cool, but you can go to USDA.gov website and find this case for rural broadband. So it's interesting to see like FCC has their initiatives with broadband and certainly well beyond that with spectrum allocations. But the USDA is really focused on this as well and putting money out there. So um, certainly connectivity is a hot topic within the USDA and they are um, pushing forward with and yet another uh, round of funding. John, do you like free things? Um, I love free things. Do you like you weird wanna... things? Oh, I do. I don't do it very often, but uh, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> what do you? I cut you off. What do you really like? What do I really like? Um, I really like Chick Fil A sandwiches. Well, that is funny that you say that because I love Chick Fil A too. And we are going to give two of our listeners uh, a, a Chick Fil A gift card. So to win. Uh, all you have to do is either follow us on our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter uh, at Alpha Alpha Juliet Tango Tango Podcast, A-A-J-T-T Podcast, or search for Andy and John Talk Telecom on Facebook. Follow us there. We'll pick one random Facebook follower and one random Twitter follower, and uh, we're going to get you some free Chick-fil-A. How's that sound to you, John? Oh, that sounds great. I wish I could win. Me too. So again, search for us on Facebook, Andy and John Talk Telecom, or follow us on Twitter at AAJTT Podcast. All right. So John, we t- when we talked to uh, Justin Zell, uh, we talked a little bit about the DOD and the Pentagon considering a proposal to uh, leverage dynamic spectrum sharing uh, that would allow the U.S. military to share spectrum bands with uh, commercial users. Uh, we talked about the spectrum band in question was um, 3100 to 3550 megahertz. Um, so we talked a little bit about that and what was, uh, interesting to me, um, I'll go a little bit into that more supporters of the deal, liken it to, um, the first net government program, which we also talked about first nets, the nationwide, um, wireless network that, uh, for EMTs and pub- public safety uses, um, it was completed by AT&T after they were awarded the project. Uh, or awarded the, the the contract and billions of dollars to go along with that contract in in 2017, um, and the first one now covers 99% of uh, of the population with 1.3 million connections, uh, as we mentioned when talking to Justin. So some people want a nationalized 5G network, and they see uh, this proposal of leasing out uh, DoD spectrum as a step in the right direction. After all, one of President Trump's 51 reelection platform um, uh, ideas or one of his items is to win the 5G race and to establish a national high-speed wireless internet network. Well, unfortunately, only one of those things is still attainable 
and that's to build a nationalized 5G wireless network. Winning the race to 5G, I mean, we've already lost it. China uh, has left us in the dust. Uh, they already have 120 million 5G users. And just this week, Apple announced that, you know, they're coming out with their 5G phone. And, uh, you know, we'll see if uh, if it even yields better results. I forget who, uh, and I wish I would have looked it up, but one of the execs at either like Verizon, AT&T uh, said that, yeah, you know, people might buy this Apple iPhone with 5G capability, but they're not going to see much of an improvement from what 4G LTE offers now. Uh, which is not not what you want to hear when you're dropping, <laughs> you know, however many thousand plus dollars on an iPhone. Uh, so. Yeah, well, the iPhone, um, yeah, I think they've already announced some pretty big um, incentives the carriers have. AT and T, I think, new, has has yeah. the biggest one, like up to eight hundred dollars for if you trade in your your old iPhone. So that's a, a significant chunk of what your what I don't know what number they're on now, but whatever it's the new iPhone be, is it twelve? Twelve, yeah. Man. I kind of well, like it because I like that the edges are squared, but I digress. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. You know, you, it'll be cool that you'll have 5G capability, but, you know, we know the, there's not a ton of places where you're going to see not yet. Uh, anything really special about it yet. Although, which, is why, I mean, which is why people, uh, you know, some people want to build a, a, nationalized five, a nationalized 5G network so that we can get this uh, this access faster and, and hopefully, um, yeah, and hopefully get it quickly. What's interesting about it, though, is that 19... GOP senators, including, let me read this, John Thune, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, and Marco Rubio, they all opposed a nationalized 5G network. And it really shouldn't be much of a surprise since, you know, traditionally Republicans tout to be, you know, pro-free market and less big government and, and having to nationalize yeah. anything with the word nationalized, you know, automatically would put them on edge. Uh, so it's just interesting you have the White House who wants to build a a nationalized 5G network and, and you know, the, the, um, the party that is currently in the white house you know the senators in that party are, are totally against it so we will uh, we will see what happens and the yeah that's second... not good that's not really well it's not really surprising i mean i think that no. the white house represents not really a traditional republican uh, mindset and uh completely and and you would expect the senators are probably a little more traditional in terms of that and i think a lot of people you know they're they, like you said scared of the idea of nationalized you know that sounds like socialism so <laughs> i think that but i think that it is you know and not to get too hung up on semantics but generally i think people are hugely supportive of government uh supporting a path to 5g and certainly sure. the the auctions the making available of the spectrum all those things have helped it's just uh, you know i think in a free market economy there are going to be some things that uh make it a little slower to market as opposed to a command uh, economy in a socialist or communist country that just says, Hey, everybody do this right now. Like we Get talked about done. last week. Yeah. Get we need to done. catch up. We need, so, we need to catch up. <laughs> you, you mentioned auctions and that leads to the second point. The, uh, the DOD's chief information officer, Fred Moorfield is noted as saying the era of spectrum auctions is ending. No more FCC auctions. Uh, so will the future deals only be spectrum leasing from the government uh, it seems, you know, it seems like the government's taking a heavy-handed approach here uh, towards future, you know, spectrum deals, and so we'll see where, you know, what the what the future of spectrum sharing or spectrum selling, spectrum leasing, um, you know, we'll see where where that where that future goes. Maybe it's just going to be short-term, you know, five, ten-year leasing contracts with the government, and you have to renegotiate those. Um, but it just seems like a, a significant shift from the current uh, auction structure. 
Yeah, it does. I I don't know what that whole market's going to look like. There's going to be spectrum brokers and there's going to be uh, leases and and there's also this uh, spectrum sharing that we talked about where you yeah. know there's going to be some interesting things done with that. So I think we've got a lot a lot needs to unfold. We don't know for sure where this is going to go, but uh, there is a lot of spectrum that's been divvied out with the auctions and it remains to be seen what the uh, and how effective all the um, winners will be with it and what that's going to allow us to achieve within you know the spectrum that's currently out there. All right, guys, last story of the day uh, has to do with Dish Network, uh, which we have talked about in the past. Uh, Mike Dano with Light Reading believes that Dish Network might be in trouble. Uh, so Dish is a new uh, entrant into the wireless uh, network industry. Uh, as we talked about in the past, they're building a, a 5G peer network from scratch. Uh, but looking at similar new entrants um, in the... Uh, in, in the wireless industry and looking at them from different places around the world uh, has caused some concern, uh, especially when you compare what Dish is doing to Rakuten in Japan. Um, Dano writes yeah. that Rakuten is employing the same kind of open, uh, virtualized 5G network that Dish is planning to build. Uh, unfortunately for Dish, Rakuten's quarterly losses are proving much higher than anticipated. This is giving analysts and investors pause for Dish's viability. It's further noted that Rakuten's entering Japan has not caused any incumbent providers to cut pricing or charge or sorry or change services. At the end of June, they only had guess what market share they would have. Well, you know, Raccoon, you've heard about them in the news. What kind oh, of market yeah. share do you think they have in Japan? Oh, I don't know. What what are they? Zero point five percent. Ooh, I mean, that's pretty even, sad. Yeah, I mean, if you round up, you get to one percent. But, but right, where are they really on? I mean, they're kind of a non-traditional entrant into that space though i mean rakuten is like a uh, sort of like an amazon over in uh in japan you know they they sell a lot more uh than services and streaming yep. and that sort of thing so they're so a they, more recent entrant into um wireless they, they are they're they're definitely a conglomerate and do a lot of different things and they're like you said a non-traditional entrant um but their lack of success is definitely giving investors and yeah analysts pause especially concerning japan is four percent of the landmass that the u.s is so you would think you know raccoons having trouble building this network and getting people to get on their network with only four percent of the landmass that now dish is trying to cover to build you know a nationwide network so, you know, oh, investors yeah. look at that and they're like, well, even if Dish does some things a little bit different, a little bit, a little bit better than Raccoon, I mean, they still have a much larger landmass that they are trying to cover. And that's, you know, some people are looking at it as unfeasible. Yeah, they do. And I think another interesting thing is that Rakuten has taken a, a ownership stake in some of the open RAN uh, providers like um, Altiostar. I think which owns Mavenir, if I, or I may have got that mixed up, but um, they're providing some of the platforms for these open RAN deals, and so I think Rakuten was hoping or his idea of kind of repackaging that and selling their model to other um, companies that want to deploy an open RAN sort of solution, and I don't think that's really going as well either. But they've kind of tied in with that a little bit, and it's, I was listening to uh, the Telecoms.com podcast the other day where they're kind of talking about how. Um, Rakuten trying to package their stuff um, and kind of being based on these certain platforms that they have an ownership stake in. It's almost kind of getting away from the idea of open RAN where you can just plug and play multiple vendors. It's kind of like, well, you kind of have to be on their platform. So is it really truly open anymore? Um, and I think you can see Dish Network has kind of 
pick some of their own vendors and have not followed the exact same path as Rakuten as far as like putting together um, their radio network and their uh, and their uh, cloud storage, all the stuff that they're putting together, all the pieces they're putting together to deploy it. But as you said, they are still following a similar path. They're a new entrant to the space. They're pushing open RAN and uh, they've got a lot of work to do. Um, what they do have is a lot of um, spectrum to work with, um, and they have been working on putting this into place for a long time. But yeah, it, they do. Uh, and, huge and, question marks out there. And they can learn lessons from Rakuten Japan or Iliad in, in France, and these new, um, you know, these new entrants into the wireless market. And they, they can learn those lessons and and grow from that. And it's not all. I don't want to seem like it's all doom and gloom. You know, there are analysts who have listed the dish stock as buy analysts who have listed the dish stock as sell if you'll remember and it seems like forever ago but when amazon first started there were people questioning the viability uh, of amazon and oh it'll never take off or be traditional brick and mortar uh, bookstores and you know how foolish do those people look now so you know it, it is what it is dish will have its uh, have its fair share at um at entering the market and trying to capture more than 0.5 percent market share but um we'll see <laughs> what happens pretty, pretty small will, sliver right there it is pretty small so <laughs> it, it's it can only go up from there right it's not much uh, not True. much to bottom out all right guys that is all we have for you today as always thank you for listening um subscribe to us on apple podcasts on spotify amazon music go to our youtube channel please and um and subscribe to that you can uh, watch us do this podcast uh, at your leisure uh john that is uh, all we have today you got big plans this weekend um yes i do i believe that the weather will support one more lake outing for the year so we're taking the boat out uh this weekend and uh looking forward to that and i guess before i go out of here one shout out to sete expo this week i uh, was able to attend a couple of the sessions uh, actually a few of them and really great info in there. So, um, I think there's still some today. Um, so definitely recommend, um, checking that out. Although we're not going to rec- post this until after it's over. So please delete that part that I just said. No, uh, no, maybe, maybe you can find it on YouTube or you can find it for, from some other source, I, but definitely a lot of good speakers and a lot of good information put out during the, uh, the SCTE virtual, um, expo this week. Yep. Andy, you said you're going camping this weekend. What's that look like? Uh, we will see. We will see what it looks like. Hopefully the weather holds on. We'll be okay. Cool. It should be, uh, should be all right, but that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening. You are now logging off. Andy and John talk telecom. Later.